This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm joined by an Emmy Award-winning journalist, Joanna Stern. She is the senior personal technology columnist at the Wall Street Journal and the creator of the Emmy Award-winning documentary, Eternal, A Tech Quest to Live Forever. Joanna's latest work includes a deep dive into the world of artificial intelligence and how the technology has influenced our personal and professional lives at an alarming rate, I would add. Through Joanna's inquisitive reporting, she answers the question on everyone's mind, what is the future of AI, and is there anything we can do about it? Joanna Stern of The Wall Street Journal, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. I've been reading your work in The Wall Street Journal for quite a long time. I I read that paper every single day, and I love the features that you do the writing that you are able to provide for us as the reader that makes difficult concepts, especially surrounding technology, easier to understand. And I think that's an amazing skill that anybody has, and you certainly have it in spades. And as we get going today, if you wouldn't mind just telling people about yourself, like where you grew up, how you imagined your career when you were a little girl and how that ended up where you are today. Oh, wow. Okay. We have to go way back. Yes. Go way way back. back I want to know where were you born? (laughs) I was born and raised in New Jersey, but still now in New Jersey. So forever in New Jersey, I am currently sitting right now in my office in New York city, but I moved back to New Jersey to my hometown where my parents still live with my wife and my two kids and my dog about six months ago, maybe almost a year. I don't know what day it is or time it is right now. (laughs) No track of time. But yes, grew up in New Jersey, went to college in upstate New York at a small school called Union College. I there got very interested in journalism, which was very weird because they didn't have a journalism major, but I was a political science major and I was just very interested in media. Growing up, I was always interested in media. I like collected magazines mm-hmm. and really tried to read as much of People magazine and Time magazine. I was very into magazines. It was a weird. Me too. My dad, my dad subscribed to every magazine. So we would have Time, Newsweek, US News and World Report. We didn't get People Magazine, but we got National Geographic, um, also National Review. We got my dad got all those serious ones, but I would get People Magazine when we'd go to Barnes and Noble, and I would always want to get of People course, Magazine, of course. Um, and then all the teen magazines very, had to get those. And I just found the stack of them. My mom brought over all these boxes of my old stuff from 
because we moved back to town and she's like, you have all the space here, take all of your old crap. <laughs> and I have YM and teen and 17. And of course I can't part with them. So I still have them. Wow. That's cool. This is a long, yeah, this is a long way of saying I was interested in media. I, my mom was an entrepreneur. She started her own public relations agency out of our house in 1984 or five. Wow. Cause I had just been born. Pioneer. And I always thought I'm going to go into public relations. Like this is the family business. I'm going to take over the business. This is what is, this is my future. This is what I'm going to do. She loved writing. She's taught me about writing for my whole life. And so I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write press releases. It's going to be great. And then I started realizing like, no, you know what? I kind of want to like read the press releases and decide if I want to write about that stuff and share my opinion on it and make it easy to understand what's happening around these different topics. And so out of college, went to go work at a public relations agency that was focused on tech. It's like, okay, I'm still going to do this public relations thing. But then I really started reading the tech news. And this was at the time of blogs were really becoming tech blogs were huge. I was like, I'm just going to go see if I can get a job at one of those. And so one thing led to the other. And I started reviewing tech for a blog. And now I'm work at the Wall Street Journal and I cover tech. That's amazing. I also, um, well, I'm new to New Jersey. I grew up in Wyoming and Colorado. Oh. And my husband you live in New Jersey. Well, we have an apartment that we have that we stay in the city during the week when I'm here um, at Fox. But we are in Bayhead, New Jersey, down down mm. the shore, yep. as they say, down um, the shore. That's it right. I have just embraced it. I I really love all of the people, and I love it all year round. We it is a, a beach town, but I love it in the it winter is. too. It's just great. It's beautiful down there. And actually, do you know yeah. what? Every Saturday. One of the most romantic things my husband does for me, he on Saturday, he goes and gets me the hard copy Wall Street Journal and confession. When I was White House press secretary, the the Saturday, there was no weekend Wall Street Journal at all. And it debuted in, I think, 07 or 08. And I remember sitting at the press secretary desk and seeing that news come across. And I thought, who in the world is going to read that? And now it is by far my favorite paper of the week because there's so much in there. Just so much. I love it. Yeah. And we do a, a great job of all my colleagues do a great job of just covering the it, it's a, it's such a it's a good range. But we do such a good job in the weekend of covering different topics with, with just real expertise and, I, and I, in some places fun. So I, I love the weekend edition as well. Love yes. the exchange section. The off duty. Oh, yeah. Exchange. I always learn something in there off duty. The review section. I sort of feel like I'm going back to school because there's so much to learn in that section. Um, but it's, it's really great. And so that's part of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is just having read your work and I'm a, Obviously, I'm a fan of what you do, and I'm impressed by how you do it, how you're able to distill all this um, information that we're all sort of sort of tiptoeing around or kind of living through. It's interesting to be at my age now at 51 and mentoring a lot of younger people who have no idea what it was like to fax something to a reporter. Because I, I worked on Capitol Hill for a while on the public right, relations yeah. side of things. And I, we didn't have uh, text messaging or all the different ways you can communicate now didn't really exist then. And, and in some ways, I think it was in some ways better back when you actually had to get on the phone and talk to a reporter. 
if you're trying to convey a message yeah. and for better for communication. Uh, now, I mean, I'll be lucky if somebody in a congressional office puts something on Twitter as a statement and they think that's the best way to communicate. And maybe it is. It's just technology has changed so much. And how do you wrap your head around how quickly things have changed, even maybe from the 90s to 2012, and then from 2012 to today, it seems remarkably fast. So fast. But one of the things that I love doing, I do a weekly newsletter for the journal called Tech Things. And it was actually the the idea came, the name came from the fact that like everything is a tech thing now, right? We Our cars are tech things, our homes, the things we put in our homes, everything around us is a tech thing. But one of the fun things I do in that newsletter is at the end of the newsletter, I have a section called the throwback thing. And that is an old piece of tech and people write in and they send their old pieces of tech, whether it be, we, we haven't actually had a fax machine yet. So if you would submit that, that would be great. If you <laughs> okay. submit that is if you have your old fax machine, you can take a picture of it. Um, but people submit everything from their first digital cameras to their first car phone to their first calculator. It was a digital calculator. And all of these things, what's interesting every week that we get them and we put them in the newsletter, it's there's still some tie in to today. Like the idea that, it, for instance, we got one a couple of weeks ago about a car phone, right? And this idea about this was this big step along the journey of mobile phones that we could have the phone in our car, right? This was before, like, you, I don't know if you ever had one of these. I remember growing up, my dad had one. It was like, it was in the console of the car, right? You would, it was like corded. It was like built right in. And this was like the first step to us taking calls, not out of our house, not on a pay phone. Mm-hmm. And today we still mm-hmm. have this like huge focus of technology in the car, right? How can we do more in the car? And one of my favorite things is to put together some of those themes where it doesn't seem it seems so like there's been so much progress. And of course there has been, but some of the core ideas go back to some of the just real first start of technology in our lives. Even if you look at something, I'm working on a piece right now, looking back at the iPod and how (laughs) Apple grew the iPod business, right? Who is it? I think it might be Kennedy. I think it might be Kennedy. Um, I think it's her. She, she ref- doesn't want to give up her iPod because it has all of her music on there and all the playlists. I think it's her. And she's like holding <laughs> on to it, like making, trying to make sure that it never dies because she likes it so much. I also well, like she's those. She's not alone. Yeah. I heard from so many people last year, Apple killed the iPod. They yes. said, sorry, we're not making the iPod touch anymore. And it was a big moment for everyone. And most people were like, they still make iPods. Mm. But I heard from this giant contingent of Wall Street Journal readers that were like, we cannot believe they're doing this. I still have my iPod. It has this music. It's the best way to listen to music. And it, I, I love hearing about people's like early deep connection to technology because the truth is, is that yes, everything has gotten better and smaller and faster. And now with AI, it can do so much more and predict so much more of what we want. But the core concepts of computers or these digital devices doing more for us in certain parts of our lives hasn't really changed. We'll be right back with more of this interview after this. 
Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. How do you think about technology and the pros and cons of what we went through in COVID in terms of work from home? And I don't know how old your children are, but the capabilities to be remote and go to school, but also the consequences of that. I'm happy they're out at school now. There's only one answer to that, I think. (laughs) Yes, I think you're not alone. You are not alone. (laughs) Uh, Like, sure, it's great that we had the technology to get us through that point. And I think we learned a lot on a macro and a micro level for every piece of technology that hit our lives is certainly from the tech company's perspective, right? There was this huge surge in ideas and growth in the companies. But of course, then in our own households, we learned more about where the limits of technology are, where the growth is as well. Yeah, I I think we'll always have fond, maybe not so fond memories of Zoom. You know how women for a long time have been trying to say we need a little bit more flexibility here, folks, in order to Mm -hmm. do work and family and make all of this work. And I feel like even like those ideas of job sharing, which seem a little antiquated now, if you think back, that was even just like 10 years ago, though. But do you think there are some benefits for women being able to get back into the workplace if they want to? Um, I know a lot of women did leave work in order to help care for loved ones during COVID. But I do wonder if some of this, these hybrid schedules, do you think that's a good thing for women as they try to figure out a work-life balance? I definitely do. And I probably should have even, like, my mind didn't even go to that when you first asked me that question, which is, like, I, I think I was kind of going to, like, oh, yeah, we had this all-day Zooms every day, and it was, you know, my head hurts just thinking they about horrible, some of those right? days. Right, but actually what really did change the fabric of how we work is that we now really consider that an option, right? If you can't go to work that day or you're working remote because your job is in a different place or you've got a hybrid schedule, the, it's just, let's Zoom, right? Let's let's do a Google Meet. Let's do whatever, insert video conference software here. And that totally changed sort of just the expectation, right? And I think also I interviewed the CEO of Slack, who mm-hmm. also happens to be a woman, And um, she was talking about how everyone learned how to use Slack during the pandemic. Like lots of companies embraced it. People within the companies that had never used that sort of software before did. And that now they haven't really seen usage go down at all, which means that there's people are still now meeting more in person and working together in offices and doing the hybrid situation but they're still using Slack, right? They're still using these digital tools in ways. So I think we'll just, it will always be this moment where we started to embrace much more of these productivity tools and software tools as a complement to the world that went back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to remember. Like I was here five days a week, I guess, before COVID. I, I always had a pretty flexible schedule because I'm out reporting, doing videos, doing mm-hmm. various things, traveling. So I'm here now like three days a week, uh, maybe sometimes five this week. But I, I there's way more flexibility and ability to do what I do from home. Even if, like you're you're doing audio right now, you're doing podcasting. 
I have a studio in my house now. I, do, I wouldn't have had that before. Right, right, right. So it's given me that flexibility. I have a great fear that I will be one of the first journalists to air a deep fake video that is taken mm-hmm. seriously, no, I that I, that I, you know, that mm-hmm. I, that we miss it. And we're heading into campaign season and the ability for people to manipulate video. And you recently did an experiment for yourself where you cloned yourself as an AI person or AI thing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I am so worried about airing a deep fake video. Do you have any advice on what I can do <laughs> aside from being paralyzed? I think so many people in our industry have this fear now. And I want to say, okay, we'll rely more on our great producers and our great standards or uh, forensics departments. If you're lucky enough to work in an institution that has that sort of capability, but I'm worried about those people being fooled. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're about to head into in this, this election year is going to be the real test. And I think that's part of why everyone right now is just hit the brakes on AI, hit the brakes so we can catch up, so we can get these tools to be able to spot deep fakes, deep audio fakes, deep image. It's everything, right? It's images, it's video, it's audio, it's text. And I I think we just, I don't have any better answer than just don't believe everything you see, mm-hmm. right? Which is like every one should have been everyone's first lesson on the internet. Uh, don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you see. And that, that's all I think we can do yeah. right now. To give you a little bit of hope, and it's funny because in the column that I just wrote about this AI stuff, I did the same thing. You you called me, but I called a lot of experts in the, the uh, academic world around AI. And I said, is there any hope? Well, we know. One guy said, nope, good luck. Mm. Like, good <laughs> luck to everyone. Not everyone can be a digital, uh, a digital detective, is what he said to me. Mm-hmm. But then I did get some hope, and yesterday even Google had an event and there was some hope there, which is that the companies that are creating the tools to create the photos, to create the videos, to create the audio, are trying to put out tools that let you recognize or allow you to say, okay, is this thing that I'm looking at, whether it's the photo or video or audio, is this thing real or is this AI? And so they're working on these tools to give people the ability to ask the system the question the problem is and this is i'm hopeful i am hopeful about those tools but the problem is is that sometimes those tools don't even know if it's ai or if it's made by a human it's moving very quickly and i had a young person in the building say to me oh my gosh these fast food restaurants might not have any workers like you know this Mm -hmm. has been building for a while i just remember having covered uh, politics and policy for a long time and especially um, fights about the minimum wage, like what the minimum wage should be. And some people on the right saying, well, if you push too far too fast, you're going to end up with robots doing the jobs and not people, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, for a lot of different reasons, efficiency perhaps being one, not being able to find enough workers, another one, uh, you do have some even fast food restaurants that might be all run with technology. And in some ways, I think, well, that's interesting progress. But I'm also worried about jobs. How much should I worry about the change that we're about to experience in the next several years? 
on the job front for people of all different walks of life and careers because it seems like it's happening very quickly. Like if you took the industrial age and shorten it into three years. Yeah, there was news. Google is working with Wendy's on a chatbot automated drive through system. That was the one, yes. Yeah, and they are going to be testing it out this summer in June, and I believe it's in Ohio, to see how it goes, right? Um, And I tweeted something, you know, funny along the lines of like, right now the big issue with these AIs are they hallucinate. Uh, That's the term they use to say that they make things up. They just will make, totally make things up. Like if I put in your name right now, it would probably tell me a bunch of stuff that isn't true about you. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I said, like, well, it's going to be funny when you go through drive through and it's like, you know, this this AI is like turned on it and on itself and it hallucinates and says something like, sorry, we don't think you should eat here today because it's not healthy. Get out of line. Go down the road to whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of there's I, I was trying to be funny, but I think there's a lot of things that they'll have to get right before this can happen. And, happen yeah. But yes, as you're saying, yeah, there's a lot of there is real reason to worry about those jobs. And certainly a lot of the work that many of us do in our jobs, white collar, whatever we are, knowledge workers, as the tech industry likes to call us, like that there's a lot of work that we do that can soon be done by AI. And there's lots of talk in the tech industry about, okay, this is going to be a great thing. It's going to free us up to do more creative work, deeper work, the work we want to do, but also it, is going to take away from the people that are not yet at those levels and that are starting out and doing basic type of ad- administrative and organizational types of tasks, uh, spreadsheets and presentations and creation. I mean, Google had this event yesterday and they showed how you can create a new presentation in two seconds. You know, um, two seconds might be an exaggeration, but very quickly you can create a PowerPoint slides thing. It can redo your your Excel or their sheets formulas. And there's so many different places this is going to touch and so many different types of jobs this is going to touch. The question I just really have had is like, then what are we going to do? And what are we going to do with this extra time? And that's where all the experts are saying is that will create different types of jobs. It will create new opportunities. And that probably is true. I don't know. What's your take? I think that probably is true. Okay. Could I say I'm a technology optimist, I believe, but I'm also like aware of the fact that it could hurt a lot of people um, if you don't have certain jobs for people. But I'm not sure, you know, these experiments with universal based income, I don't think those work very well. I don't think we're quite getting it right. And yet when I say optimistic, I am also troubled by something that we did a story on Newsroom not too long ago, but you wrote about this back in December. And it was a story about how tech can bring loved ones to life after they die. And so you, mm-hmm. I remember reading your piece and then we did this story about a woman in South Korea whose daughter was about, I think, seven or eight years old and her daughter had died of a blood disease, a, a rare blood disease, mm-hmm. and she died quickly. And we had this video that the technology company recorded and then she must have given her permission for everybody to be able to see it and you could watch her communicate with her daughter I say in quotes and Mm -hmm. 
I have been so shaken by that because I don't really know how I feel about it. I, I felt like one, yeah. I, it was very intrusive for me to be watching this very private moment of the woman and her daughter. And I would never want to take that away from her, this opportunity, if that's what she wanted to be able to do that. But then we talked to a psychiatrist who said grief is such a difficult thing for people to get through that they don't know in the long run if it helps or hurts. And I don't I don't know how I feel about it. And yeah. I don't necessarily know if you know how you feel about it. It's just one of those things where I think there are positive aspects to these technologies and the developments, but there are also moral ones that I think, whoa. Well, it is absolutely a topic that I am deeply invested in. And a few years back, um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it. A few years back, I did write that piece and I, I did a deep documentary on it, uh, which went on to win an Emmy, which I was very proud of because I really didn't think a lot of people would care about this topic. And, you know, the, the uh, yeah, I mean, I might get a little emotional talking about this. I haven't really talked about it yet. I knew that, that you won an Emmy, but I didn't know what it was for. Yeah. So I, I won it for this documentary I decided to do at the journal. Um, and it was a really odd topic. It was about death and technology. And we started on this tech, this, this video in 2018 or 20, yeah, 2018 or 2019. And the way I sort of structured the piece was I wanted to do this deeper and it's still a goal of mine, but I wanted to do a deeper series about, I hear from a lot of people, readers, and they have a lot of questions. And one of them happened to be death and technology. I started hearing from a few readers about what do I do to preserve my files, make sure, you know, does it go in my will, that kind of thing. So I went on this journey and I found a character who was very interested. She was a woman named Lucy Watts and she was in her 20s and she had an illness. A, it was a couple of different illnesses, but she was she basically was uh, quite sick for quite a long time. And she had a lot of thoughts about how she might preserve her legacy with technology. And I went to go see her. We This is part of the, the video. We went to go see her in London. And I sat with her and I talked with her and her mother about what kind of things she would want to preserve her legacy. Again, she's young. She grew up on the internet. She talked about, okay, maybe my Twitter feed lives on, maybe my Facebook feed lives on. And ultimately I said, okay, I want to go explore this area. I'm going to go talk to a couple of AI companies and see if they might create something for you that you might be interested in. And because ultimately from sitting with her and her mom is actually really ended up being that she really wanted to create something that her mom could remember her from. Yeah. Not so much the public, you mm -hmm. know, that we have Facebook, we have all these things like that's more of a public persona, but she was really worried about inside her, her own house, how she would be remembered. And so I went and I talked to a couple of these different companies. One was a robotic company, which it was really weird. You've got to watch this thing, but it's a, it's a, it's a full on like, robot clone of this woman and she talks and said, oh, that's a little bit much, but it is similar to what we're talking about today where you have to, you feed the robot and the, the AI system lots of text about who you are and it can then interpret it and like you're saying with, with this example, talk to you. Another company I talked to, uh, they're still around, they're called Hereafter and they record your voice and then put it into an Alexa-like bot. So you can talk to Alexa and say, you know, can you tell me about 
my mom's story and you can kind of talk back and forth with Alexa, but it's your, it would be your mom or you'd be your, the, the family member in, in the bot form, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up creating this voice bot for Lucy and she loved it and her mom loved it. Um, and that's sort of how the piece ends, not to totally spoil the, the piece, but also COVID happened. And so it sort of became a little bit more relevant because people were thinking about death. And then actually turns out uh, Lucy passed away. Mm. And um, I hadn't really thought much about the story since then. And I just, I, I feel really good that we created that voice bot for her mother. I don't know. I have been in touch with her mom. I don't know how much she's going to use it, but I, I think it's really great that she has these recordings of her daughter. Yeah. What I like about that though, is that they're sort of set in stone. The, the, the recordings were done by Lucy. She was the one who answered the question. So when you listen to it on the, on Alexa and, and on an echo speaker, it's her. It's not a generated voice of Lucy. It's not like Lucy can make up what is being said. It's her real recordings. It's really like the modern day way of doing a family history. Right. It's a long winded way of saying I'm I I'm so sad that Lucy's not here anymore, but I'm so happy that her mom has this piece of her. And what is project. the documentary called so people could try to find it? It's called Eternal. And you could just search like WSJ, uh, Joanna Stern death technology for young people listening today um would you still recommend journalism as a career is that a trick question i don't know because honestly i don't know how i feel about that it's such a um you have to answer after me (laughs) okay i have a five-year-old he's in kindergarten and they were teaching them about newspapers which i just could not believe was a thing they were teaching (laughs) about i was so excited and so I, I didn't even ask the teacher. I was like, I'm coming in tomorrow to talk about journalism to the class, be there in the morning. Um, and I was really excited that they were answering, asking and answering questions about newspapers and what is news and all of this, the, the media world, even though like they're only five and they're not really exposed to it. So yes, I, I, I mean, I, I really, I think it's so important. Right. I think it's so important that even even if you don't end up forming a lifelong career in journalism, that maybe you try and you find you figure out if this is for you. But I, I just think it's so important that we have a next generation of journalists who can battle all of the, the things. That I the love the industry. principle of journalism. I love the seeking of truth and the and the way it gives you curiosity. And I also feel like at this stage in my life, like I don't necessarily understand what it's like to be perhaps 18 and thinking about a career in journalism and looking at all the possibilities that are out there. So when you and I were first starting, it was like, I wanted to be in broadcast, maybe you wanted to be in print. And it was, Mm -hmm. there weren't that many options. Cable TV did not exist um, when I was going to college. And in fact, the three major networks and, and PBS were all All of the head anchors were men. There weren't any Mm -hmm. real women role models. And now that's totally changed, obviously. And look at what you've been able to do as well. So you create 
not only do you write for the newspaper and the hard copy that I get on Saturdays, but people can find it online. They can find it on their phone. They can find you on social media. And someplace like the journal gives you an opportunity that you could also produce a documentary. So in some ways, the world of journalism is even more wide open than it was before, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's why I feel like I want people to try Right. You may end up and I think this is what happened with a lot of my generation. People ended up going into journalism and then they ended up going into being a YouTuber or an Instagram influencer or whatever you want to say about different social media platforms and using those platforms um, as as a way to tell stories. And are they, quote unquote, journalism? You know, depends, depends on the person, depends on how they do it, depends on the standards they hold themselves to. But I think you've got to try. More to come right after this. I have just a few short questions now. And I um, love this in the Wall Street Journal magazine. There's a, do you ever see this, the feature called the download? Yep. Okay. I love it. So yep. I'm going to, I have a few questions like that for you. Okay. Okay. So what is the app that you find yourself using the most on your phone? Let me look it up. Okay. At probably Twitter, I, I have mm. to say, I'm still, it's still in there. I'm just there every day watching the train wreck. I'm just there. Um, but I will say today, it says right now, and it's, it's so true. Talk about my New Jersey life style in the suburbs. I got a connected birdhouse. Oh, okay. cool. <laughs> this, let just, let's talk about this. Let's, I'll just, I know this is probably not what you really wanted me to come on your no, show. No, this is exactly, no, this is great. I love this. So there's a there's a gadget called the Bird Buddy, and it's a birdhouse with a camera inside it. And I was just like, okay, let me get this in. Let me see if I'm going to review it. I think my my five year old will love it. We set it up on Sunday, and every time a bird comes into the house, it takes pictures and video of it. That you you put the seed in. Mm-hmm. My son collected a bunch of disgusting worms because he thought that's what they wanted to eat. <laughs> I haven't eaten them, eaten them by the way, and. <laughs> And so like all day long, it tells me this, uh, what did I just get? I got a purple finch just Mm. stopped by a Northern Cardinal. The squirrel keeps coming back. He's ruining my life, this squirrel. (laughs) But, and and it's fun because it captures video and still photos of it, but then it will do image recognition to tell you what kind of bird it is. So I'm totally obsessed with this. And all day long now I keep getting alerts like this bird has stopped by your house. Do you want to save it to your collection? So that's amazing. Okay, so this is why this is an amazing story. Um, And it has to do with the Wall Street Journal. I do have to say, though, I love giving book recommendations. There's a book called Mozart's Starling that I recommend. So he got a pet starling. And I have this book. I'm about halfway through this book. It might be something that you and your family enjoy because they get a little starling and they raise it. But all the things that happen (laughs) are pretty funny. Uh, But then you also learn a little bit about Mozart and how he had this pet starling. But the other reason okay, that I'm that story of yours is so interesting about Bird Buddy is in the Wall Street Journal last year, on a hard mm-hmm. copy on a Saturday in the off-duty section, there was a feature called Gifts for Him. It might have been like a Father's mm-hmm. Day type thing. And there was something, I don't think it was called the Bird Buddy, but it was something like that. And I thought oh, I'm going to definitely get that for my co-anchor, Bill Hemmer, for his birthday in November because he has a place in the Hague Harbor area. And 
I thought this would be so fun for him to be able to see what birds come through. And I went online and they said, thank you very much. They didn't have any product yet. They weren't ready to sell it. And then I checked back every couple weeks. And finally, I gave after like four months, I gave up. But that it's interesting that that was also for me. I was like, oh, that would be something that would be really fun. It's really fun. It's really, really fun. I, and I think they do. I mean, they're selling them now. Um, okay, it's just giving me more reason to have to write about this now because it's just, it is really fun. It's great. And what a way to bring people together and to have conversations. And- Exactly. I, I don't know how long it's going to last. Like, you know, the novelty is probably going to wear off for me in a few weeks mm-hmm. and I'll just probably turn the notifications off and then go check in on the bird buddy every once in a while. But right now it's, it is my most used app because I'm just addicted to seeing which um, birds come in. I well, really I think that's a great place for us to end our conversation. I should let you get back to your day. <laughs> I enjoyed the conversation so much. I'll keep reading and we thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I will keep watching and, um, yeah. Good. Well, come on the show one time too. We'd love to have you. Yeah. would love to do that. Okay. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks so much, Dana. Fascinating conversation. Sure to be one that all of us are going to be having at our homes, at our places of business, and probably even with ourselves as we walk around. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.